Chris is getting the screen down. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 14. I drove up this morning and my daughter said, when you see those cars lined outside of the fellowship hall, you know it's going to be a good lunch. <laughs> so we do have food prepared for everybody after the service is over. Psalm chapter 14, if you found your place, please stand to honor the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 14, beginning verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They all, they are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the songs that we get to sing to praise and honor and glorify your name. Lord, we thank you for this Christmas season. And Lord, we long for your return. We want you to come back so that this world may be at peace. We know there's much turmoil between now and then. But God, we thank you for overcoming this world, that we don't have to be afraid of any of that. And Lord, this Christmas season, I pray that we would focus on the message of the gospel, that we would share it with our friends and neighbors and our family. And God, as a church, I pray that we would be on mission for you until we see Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, you know, I thought my whole life that, that a foolish person was just somebody that was stupid or ignorant. I really did. I mean, I, I thought that's really what it encapsulated. But when I started reading this this week, it said, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I began to read notes on it, and it said it's an immoral person. It's a person that refuses to do moral or right or good things. And I thought about that for a minute, and you can be really, really smart and do foolish things. You can be highly intelligent. I, I remember going to school with some people who didn't have to crack a book and they could pass a test. But yet, in their personal lives, they did really dumb things. Uh, maybe you've heard a bunch of, of blonde jokes. You heard many of those. I mean, I'm not going to tell any, but uh, you know, I might offend somebody. I'd hate to offend somebody with a blonde joke. But you know, a lot of people dye their hair blonde. But I mean, I mean really, you probably heard some jokes about people doing some stuff. But really, we've all done stuff without really thinking about it, haven't we? We have, and uh, we forget how to spell simple words sometimes. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that makes us seem foolish. But a person who acts like there's no God watching is truly a foolish person. In fact, they said, there is no God. And what does that do for that person? That excuses them from all accountability. 
Now, I've left my kids alone in a room for long enough to know that when I'm not around, they act like I'm not around. And when I am around and they don't know it, they act like I'm not around. And I have stood in the doorway waiting on my children to see me from time to time to see how they'll react when they realize I'm there. And it goes something like this, you know, <laughs> they're, they're hitting their sibling, you know. And in the middle of that, they straighten up. And they act like maybe if they're still, I won't see them. And I think we would do the same thing. If Christ were to show up today, there'd be lots of people that would stop immediately and act like they were good. Uh, it happens at church time and at Easter time, uh, at Christmas time and at Easter time, because a lot of people, they say, well, uh, I better go to church. I better act like I'm good because this is the, the season of remembering Jesus. And when we remember him, we've got to remember to be good. But you realize that people that only do that on Sundays are no different. And we'll talk about the Christers, you know, the Christmas, Easter, and or CEO Christians, you know, Christmas, Easter, and other holidays. Uh, but really, the ones that, that only act like a Christian on Sunday are exactly the same. Because Monday through Saturday, they too act like there is no God. They make choices and decisions at work and in their home and in their personal lives that don't acknowledge God at all. And if you are one of those CEO Christians or one of those people that are only Christians on Sunday morning between the hours of 10.45 and 12, then why don't you repent today? Stop living like an atheist. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that do good. Uh, there are lots of people that believe right things but do wrong things. You know, they, they know the difference between right and wrong. Um, you know better. You've heard that over and over throughout your life. I mean, you know better. You know how you're supposed to act and behave. And, and all of us are prone to sin. We're prone to wonder. And it's really hard if, if somebody puts a plate full of cookies out and says, don't touch these, or somebody cooked some deer steak, you know, last night and says, don't eat any of this before lunch tomorrow. Or, you know, one of those deviled eggs or something like that. I mean, it's really hard when they say, here's this food, now don't eat it. Maybe, maybe somebody in your family made something for somebody else and they said, don't touch any of this. This is a gift to somebody else. You can't eat any of this. What do we do when they turn around? Just one bite. They won't even notice. Why do we do that? It's because we can't resist. When somebody tells us not to do something, all we can think about is doing that. Well, the fool who said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. It's not that they're stupid. Is that they're corrupt. They've done abominable works. Anybody want to stand up here and give us a, a laundry list of things that you've done in your life that you wish you wouldn't have? Probably not. Anybody want to stand up here and tell about somebody else you know in the room that's done stuff? No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. Believe it or not, we've all been pretty foolish. There's none that doeth good. Well, that sounds pretty bad. I mean... Why would they write a song about everybody being evil and everybody being wicked and nobody doing good stuff? 
Because we have to acknowledge who we are and what we've done. It's much better for us to admit that we've done wrong than to walk around holier than everybody else and acting like we've never done anything wrong in our lives. And, and you've probably all been to church with somebody like this at some point in your lifetime. They act as if everything's a-okay when you know when you read scripture that it ain't. And so you're wondering, what's wrong with them? I wonder if I can figure it out. And you start following them around. Well, it makes it easier now on social media. You can just you can get on there and, and go back through all their old posts. You would be surprised some of the teenagers that I have access to some of their Instagrams or some of their you know Facebooks, and I'll see them, you know, flipping off the camera or, or um, actually using drugs. I don't know why they do that on social media. But I have seen all kinds of stuff that they wouldn't think that a pastor would see. It's amazing. Most of the time I wasn't even looking for it. Just rolled right across it. There it is, big as day. Somebody acting foolish. As if God didn't exist. I worked with some guys at UPS and, and they were they were from a different cultural background and they were all just cussing up a storm and acting like they would normally act. And then after a week or two of me working there, they asked me what I did after work. And when I told them I was a pastor, they all wanted to crawl inside themselves. Because they acted like I was Jesus in the flesh right there in front of them, about to condemn them for everything that they had done wrong. And it happens to people a lot. A lot of people do that when they find out I'm a preacher. They want to act like, oh no, you're going to tell on me, aren't you? You're going to tell Jesus on me. I don't have to tell him anything. If you believe that God is everywhere all the time and that God is all-knowing, why do you act as if you don't believe it? I think it needs to become a part of our regular practice to practice the presence of God. How many of you have driven down the highway about 10, 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, and all of a sudden you see a cop. What is your first instinct? Is it to speed up? Probably not. It's probably to turn your cruise control off, because you know if you tap your brakes, you might be in admission to guilt there. So you try, you try to slow down, and you hope and pray that somebody was going just a little bit faster than you. And how many of you have glanced in your rearview mirror and prayed, Lord, please don't let his lights come on. Please don't let him pull out. I don't need a ticket. How many times have you done something like that? You've been driving very long at all. You know what I'm talking about. Because most of us have done it. If not all that are driving. Verse 2, it says, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Could you imagine God looking at every single person in the whole world trying to find somebody that acted right? That'd take a long time for us, wouldn't it? God's got plenty of time. Verse 3, it says, They are all going to sign. They are all, they are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. He couldn't find anybody that by themselves was just naturally good. He said, well, what about somebody like Abraham? 
know, Abraham lied through his teeth. Everywhere he went, he made his wife lie to everybody and say that she was his sister. I'm just his sister. But it was his wife. And it wasn't just a one-time deal. It happened over and over and over again. He was, he was a chronic liar. There was nobody through all of the Old Testament. You can pull up anybody and have an example of somebody who didn't do right, didn't do everything perfectly. So what about Job? Have you considered Job my servant, perfect man? By the end of the book of Job, Job has to repent and offer a sacrifice for the way that he had talked about God to God and treated him. Need an old righteous Job. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. I want you to look at Romans chapter 3. It'll be up here on the screen. Just a few verses there where Paul is trying to make an argument in the book of Romans as to why people need Jesus, why they need salvation. And I don't know how many of you know some good people, but if you ask them, are you going to heaven? They say, I've been pretty good. And, and when they give you that answer, they haven't read the Bible. When somebody says, I've been pretty good, they're not listening to what Scripture says. Because Scripture says in Romans chapter 3, verse uh, 10, as it is written, back here in Psalm 14, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And Paul uses that to point out that the religious people who think that they're keeping the rules, that think that they're following God's law, are not. They're just not. And you can get online and see some different evangelists that go out and they'll talk to people in the street and, and they'll ask them about, are you a good person? You know, Are you going to heaven? And they'll ask them some questions. And, and they'll say, well, have you ever... Uh, have you ever lied about anything? And they'll admit to that. They say, well, have you, ever, um, have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? And they would admit to that. And then he would bring up, he would say, well, have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Because the Bible says that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's as if you've committed adultery. And they'd say, yes, I've done that. At the beginning, they said they were a good person, but he said, all of a sudden, you're a liar, a thief, and an adulterer. He said, have you ever been angry at somebody with hatred in your heart? The Bible says to be angry with somebody like that is, is as if you're a murderer. So yeah, I've been pretty angry. So now you're a lying, thieving, adultering murderer, and, and you think that you're a good person. You see, there's a reason this is in Scripture. There's a reason they wrote a song about it. It's because people need to realize that they need salvation. And if you never point out anybody's sin, they never ask for a Savior. Because lots of people are lulled into thinking that they're going to straight to heaven when they die. But without Jesus, there's no way to get there. Verse 4, it says, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and call not upon the Lord. Uh, for that, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 64, beginning verse 1. Isaiah chapter 61. 
Uh, 64, sorry, verse 1. Uh, there are lots of people in the world, they, they do wrong things, and, and they refuse to call on God for deliverance. It says, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. So we ask for God to come back, but when he does, things will melt. As when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. The nations, they hide behind their strongholds. They hide behind all their power and their military might. But uh, if Jesus showed up, he wouldn't be able to hide anywhere. Because all the mountains would be leveled. Verse 3. When thou didst terrible things which we looked not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. I wait on Jesus to come back every day. I do. Because if Jesus would come back, the things that I'm thinking about in my future, I don't have to plan for or worry about. Because all those things will pass away. Verse 5. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as, unclean, as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Now, we think we're doing good. I don't know if you ever had a kid try to help you clean something up, but a lot of times... A kid's hands, they're just sticky. And I don't know if you understand that. If you've ever grabbed a hold of a kid's hand, you're just thinking, where is the nearest sink? <laughs> I need to get this off of me because I can't identify what this is. And I don't want to smell it to see. And you take the purity of God and His righteousness and His holiness, and then we try to help. says, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. So nobody's calling out to the Lord. Why do you think I'm up here preaching? I'm preaching so that you know that you need a Savior. He cries out to you. that you need him you answer in belief in faith in turning away from your sin your salvation begins with the Lord sending out a signal saying please be saved I'm afraid if I lift it up to my kids they might not ever take a bath. You think about that. Sometimes I will put my nose on the top of their head and my question is, when was the last time you had a bath? 
Now, if I didn't ask that question, they'd just go on. And the rest of the world would have to deal with it. But when they say, Tuesday? And they say it like it's a question mark. <laughs> like, I'm not really sure. I say to myself, I am certain that it wasn't in the last 24 hours. So my next command is, go take a bath. But I just put these clothes on. You're running in them. How do you think we smell covered in sin? We reek of death. And God says, just look at you and all your self-righteousness. It's like you're wearing filthy rags. I remember the field house when we played football. And there were clothes in that field house that I believe did not get washed from the first practice throughout the entire season. And we would go out and practice football with people who had on filthy rags. And it would about knock you down before they even got to you. Whew. What a smell. I mean socks that would stand up on their own. You know, I mean... We get comfortable in our own filth. We're like pigs that wallow in the mud. And somebody could hose us off and give us a fresh bath. And guess what we do? We go find another mud hole. Because that's where pigs feel the most comfortable. <coughs> it's in a mud hole. There is none that calleth upon thy name. Oh, let's go back to six. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness as, are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You ever been swept up in something you knew was wrong? Boy, it happened a lot when I was in high school. My buddies would be going to do something, and I'd be right there with them. And they'd suggest something that I knew was wrong, and I... I'd think about saying something, but I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be cool, and I, so I, I went with them. And some of those things were federal offenses. I mean, we did some crazy stuff. You can strike that. Anyway, uh, verse 7. There's none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father, we are the clay, and thou art potter. And we all are the work of thy hand. So in times past, I was a sinner. I was living for sin, and I'd go straight back to the mud hole. But now, God's my Father. He's adopted me, and He's making me into something different. And whatever He wants to make me into, that's it. His hands are strong enough to form me into whatever He wants. He has a guiding hand and he knows what he is making you into. It's when we refuse to conform to the image of Christ that we feel his hands the most strongly. Walk along with him, it's no problem. 
start walking away and you feel his grip on you tighten. I, I hold my, my baby's hands when we're going into a store and, and I hold them loosely. But then they get distracted and they try to go away and my grip gets tighter. And they look at me like I've done something wrong. All I'm doing is saving their life. But it's not comfortable. And the more they fight and struggle and pull, the worse it hurts. When you're a piece of pottery and he's trying to mold you into something, and the more lumpy you get, the more he has to start over with you. And guess what? When he gets you all formed the way that he wants you, he puts you in a fire to harden you, to strengthen you, so that you'll be useful. Verse 9. Be not wroth. Be not wroth, very sore. O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee. We are all thy people. When we get together in church and wonder why I'm preaching about a bunch of sinners, it's because if you're anything like me, you struggle with it anyway. I mean, you weren't just made whole the day that you got saved and never sinned again after that. You still struggle with sin, and you will until Jesus gives you a new body. Because this whole body that we live in, it struggles with sin. And if we refuse to acknowledge that, we're liars, and the truth is not in us. <clears throat> My job as a preacher and a pastor and a teacher is to show you the Word of God, what it says about who you are and what you've been through and what you've done, and what God has done about it. And what he continues to do about it. So that when he is correcting you, you don't buck the master. You allow him to form you into the image of Christ. If you're one of his children. Verse 5 of Psalm chapter 14, it says, There were they in great fear, for, uh, for God is in their generation of the righteous. You have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. I want, you to, I want you to think about how often you would listen to a poor person's advice on real estate or on money or, or on anything. I mean, a, a person who doesn't have much money, nobody listens to. But in Luke chapter um, 6, Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. It says, He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. It's very difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, You know what? If you're poor, you're blessed because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. In order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven, like a rich young man that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? He said, have you kept the commandments? Yep, I've done all that. He said, there's one thing you haven't done. Sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. And he couldn't do it. Because he had great wealth, he went away very sorrowful. If you're not willing to give up this life to gain eternal life, you don't understand the gospel. And a person that's poor, you tell them they've got to give up this world and this life to get eternal life. They're saying, soul, I will take it. 
But a person that has it really good in this life that said, no, I don't want to give up my wealth. I don't want to give up my riches and my comfort. I don't want to give up all these good things that I've worked so hard for and that somebody has given me. See, when you read Scripture, you find out that anything you give up, God gives it back in this life and in the life to come. It doesn't hurt you a lick. But if you don't have enough faith to trust Him with that, then you can't be saved. You have no ability to be saved because you won't let go of the anchor that's dragging you to the bottom of the ocean and drowning you. And for many people, that anchor is their wealth. They can't give it up. There's a trick. You can take a, a primate and stick some food, as much food as they want to eat, in a box. And that box is only big enough for their hand to slip through. And they'll grab a hold of that food and they won't turn it loose. And they try to pull their hand out and they can't get their hand out, but they also can't turn loose of the food. And it's a trap for them. And somebody can come up and scoop them up because they cannot turn loose of the thing that has them trapped. They would just open their hand. They could slip their hand back out. And for many people, that's what sin is in their lives. They, they grab a hold of sin and they want it. They long for it. And, and they have it. And they're not going to let go of it. And since they won't let it go, it has trapped them. And death is sure to find them. You shame the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Says you hate poor people because God is watching out for them. Verse 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Going back to Romans chapter 11, there's several verses there, and, and Paul gets to the conclusion that you know God is, is still concerned about the Jewish people. And he loves both Jews and Gentiles. And so in Romans 11, verse 25, it says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. There are some people who do not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and they've been blinded. But once all the Gentiles around the globe have accepted Jesus Christ, it says, God's going to remove the blindfold so they can see. There are many Jewish people today that are believing in Jesus as the Messiah. They're called Messianic Jews. Verse 26, it says, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. He shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. Once they believe in Jesus, they won't have to worry about ungodliness. Because when you submit your life to him, you become a slave to righteousness. When I look at a lot of people who call themselves Christians and I can't see any shackles to righteousness, I know that either they have a faith that is not a saving faith or they are unrepentant of some sin. Verse 27, For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Verse 28, As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed 
that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he have, might have mercy upon all. God wants you to experience his steadfast love for you. And that usually comes from somebody else telling you about the mercy of God. This whole song started out with talking about how sinful we are. The reality is that sin leads to death. And if you never repent of that sin, if you never get right with God, if you never ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then when you die, it doesn't matter how many good things you've done, the wages of your sin will be death. God's standard is 100% perfection, complete holiness, complete purity. only one who's been there. It's his son Jesus. So if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. But if you don't have Christ, you don't have life. Let's pray. God, I pray if there's anybody here that is lost today, that is depending upon their own filthy rag righteousness, Lord, that they would get right they would come and talk to me about being born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night and Jesus said, you must be born again. He was so confused by that. It simply means that they have to be born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has to enter into a person's life. And the only way that's possible is by accepting Jesus' sacrifice on their behalf. Turning away from their sin. Calling on you for salvation. Lord, I thank you for all the Christians in this room. I pray, Lord, that they be challenged to live righteous and godly lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But for those that don't know you, Lord, that's not possible. They don't have your Holy Spirit to help them stay out of the pits of this life. And Lord, for those who are working on it, pray that you would give them an extra dose of your spirit, your strength. If they are hungry or thirsty for righteousness, Lord, I pray that you fill them up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.